The following is a hoop ball presentation. NBA Finals edition, first one ever, of Round Ball Ramble. That's right, NBA Finals are tonight between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns, as y'all already know, and I can't wait to get inside of this matchup and do a little bit of a preview here. Um, before we start, you already know we are brought to you, myself, that is, by Hoop Ball. So check out hoop-ball.com on Twitter at Hoop ball tweets h-o-o-p-b-a-l-l tweets all together make sure to do that a lot of great content going on over there uh for example my boy brad harden from hoop ball hawks dropped out and he's just had great coverage all year but with the atlanta hawks bowing out just gave a great wrap-up episode alongside my friend david williams definitely make sure to check that out again the latest episode of hoop ball hawks which you can find again on twitter at hoop ball tweets online hoop dash ball dot com uh before i get started with the Suns versus the Bucks, I do have just a little bit of news, actually Hawks related. So it's funny that I say it, but uh, former interim head, former interim head coach, now full time head coach Nate McMillan, was announced yesterday, um, or it was it was reported that he is signed on as full time head coach for a with a four year deal. Could not get that out. Formerly he was interim. Now he's full-time after having a very successful uh, postseason with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, you guys just saw, I mean, that Hawks team, I definitely did not see making it to within two games of the NBA Finals, but they really did. Uh, Nate Millen wasn't that great in my mind with adjustments, but he made the adjustments that counted. More importantly, he inspired, I think, more leadership in the locker room. It felt like there was almost a near mutiny um, at times with the Atlanta Hawks before, um, and they all came together. I think the addition of Lou Williams definitely helped with that backup um, guard spot, kind of being that offensive initiator off the bench. But you could tell the Hawks responded a lot better to Nate Millen than they did to Lloyd Pierce. And I liked Lloyd Pierce. I thought the way he was, uh, De Smith was just kind of crummy. I didn't think he get that, got that fair of a shot. I mean, honestly, I may have to take that back just a little bit because however I feel about what you know Lloyd Pierce had to work with, uh, Nate Millen basically inherited the same team and brought them to further heights than were expected. And for that, you have to give him some credit. I'm glad they got another shot. I did not feel that Nate McMillan should have been dismissed the way he was in Indiana. And what really makes me happy is that we just have more black coaches in the NBA. Just straight up. Look at the numbers. You see some more of that. I'm glad. Because, I mean, I look at the dismissal of Nate McMillan last season. I look at the dismissal of Lloyd Pierce this year. I look at the dismissal of um, Alvin Gentry last year. And then we see Stan Van Gundy came and also went. And I just don't feel like fair shakes are being given, um, especially in the coaching ranks. You know, look at how um, Jamal Mosley was handled um, with Dallas just recently. I just don't know if... I mean, actually, I do know. It's not handled right. That's that's just what it is. And it's a shame, especially in the NBA, that we still have these issues. Um, speaking of Jamal Mosley, news regarding him. Um, it was announced yesterday, oop, my computer decided to go crazy there, that um, him, himself, Mosley, uh, Darvin Ham, a former Wizards player back in the day, and Wes Unsell Jr. are among finalists for the Wizards coaching vacancy. Uh, what was also talked about, Sam Cassell was brought up as a, a person that was in the talks or in the hunt of that, but apparently as of yesterday, was no longer a part of that. Remember the the Wizards did um, 
dismiss Scott Brooks after five years where he went 183 wins to 207 losses uh, over that time period. So now you are moving forward with a Bradley Beal and a Russell Westbrook team trying to figure out what's going on there. So the Wizards don't I mean, they have pressure. It's obvious. They have a lot of pressure uh, to make the right decision, um, to get a coach that can take a team that, with these players, with these contracts, are, are more win now than not, even while they still have to find, you know, some capable wings and, you know, some decent bigs. And, oh, by the way, we don't have a lot of flexibility um, cap-wise to even make that happen. So a lot of that is going to be on Washington's front office, but, I mean, the coach is obviously a big part of that. And so, therefore, whichever of those guys get that shot, if any of them do, um, they kind of have their work cut out for them. But with that being said, looking at it again, Jamal Mosley, Darvin Ham, Wes Unsell Jr., all these guys would be first-time NBA coaches uh, who have been, you know, in the assistant coach ranks, you know, working their way up. Uh, former players, if you're Darvin Ham, you know, coming from that coaching pedigree, playing pedigree for West Unsell Jr., or, or just doing kind of all of the above in just terms of putting the work in, if you're Jamal Mosley, getting the opportunity will be really big. Um, and it will be more of a shot for people like that. You know, people like Steven Silas, who, you know, last year was just a year from hell for him, but really were able to finally get that opportunity. I, I want to see more of that. I want to encourage more of that. And so I'm very excited that we are having a chance to have that happen. Um, also, that leaves... Wizards are one of three teams left searching for a new head coach. You have the Orlando Magic and you have the New Orleans Pelicans, so still trying to see what happens there. Not a whole lot of news there to uncover, uh, just kind of wait and see, but, you know, they better come up with something soon. Uh, You know, the draft is in just 23 days, uh, stuff moving on ahead. I I think you kind of want to have a coach set out by that point. That being said, as far as the news uh, we pretty much kind of got that covered. Um, again, draft coming up soon, so I'll get to my uh, draft board. You know, I'm going to get to that really soon here. Um, I have everything set. I have some more uh, discussions internally I want to have in terms of getting um, my thought process pro- thought process and methodology out there. So that will be fun to kind of get my board and stuff out. And, I mean, with 23 days left, we're three weeks out pretty much. I might as well do one a week, right? 1.0 one week, 2.0 another week, 3.0 another week. Um Okay, actually, I said that was pretty much news, but it really wasn't. I have one more thing to share. So, the jump, you know, it's part of NBA culture, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, I got to say I've enjoyed the jump. Their trade deadline specials, their free agency specials are fun, even while I may not like the sensationalist in terms of the focus on making a story out of nothing or maybe focusing more on narrative than the actual game. I get a part of it. I'm kind of into it myself. I, You know, I play... GM games where I make a narrative in my head, it just makes it more fun, but at the same time, this is like, I don't know, sports to a certain extent that don't need that type of drama, you know, like when I think of when Rachel Nichols, that's what I'm talking about, um, interviewed the Miami Heat when they made the finals last year and basically made a big point of saying, well, you know, you have to go through LeBron James. Like, that's fun. That, that's cool. But it's not something you ask a team that just reached the pinnacle of, of success for them up to that point. You know, they're about to be in the finals after, you know, a long hiatus. The first thing you don't want to do is rub up some other guy into this. You want to give them the shout-out and credit they deserve. And Rachel Nichols barely got through that before going into that kind of question. And that's kind of a remote. She's done a lot of that. Um, you know, taking some interesting stances on stuff. I remember she had this um, big thing about why um, NBA players should celebrate more um, at the time of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but it just seemed so kind of random at the time that it was like, what? You know, um, the thing about Derrick Rose, the way she handled that in the past. I mean, there's a lot of things that Rachel Nichols has done that have been, I don't know, to me, I take a lot of NBA media with a grain of salt, so I got to say it was slightly annoying, but to others, it was very much annoying, but I say all that as more of like this background for what transpired 
over this past weekend. So you have this bombshell report from the New York Times uh, on Sunday that detailed this just apparently a deep internal strife, allegedly, at the network um, between basically Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor, um, her colleague in ESPN. They were both being considered to host coverage for the NBA Finals. Uh, I barely even paid attention. That's that's how much of an impact the pregame shows for this stuff really matters to me. But Rachel Nichols was uh, basically sideline reporter, and you had Maria Taylor hosting you know, the NBA pregame postgame show. Um, and honestly, I, I don't know. I, I'll give my gripes on the shows and stuff later. I don't think that this is... Um, the time or place to, to heap on why I think the shows are lacking, whatever, because it really is. And this is something about what Rachel Nichols said regarding Maria Taylor. And she basically made it seem as if Maria Taylor got to where she is because of diversity, you know, a diversity um, pledge or diversity um, initiative by ESPN to give Maria Taylor roles that Rachel Nichols believe that she should have had. Now, again, there's a lot more into it. I definitely recommend you checking out the New York Times piece um, for more insight on that. Deadspin did some things around that. It's a whole different thing. But the bottom line is that uh, yesterday she did come out and, and, and begin with an apology. Um, and it was so short, I'm just going to read it to you. So, quote, The first thing to teach you in journalism school is don't be the story. And I don't plan to break that rule today or distract from a fantastic finals. But I also don't want to let this moment pass without saying how much I respect, how much I value our colleagues here at ESPN, how deeply, deeply sorry I am for disappointing those I hurt, particularly Maria Taylor, and how grateful I am to be part of this outstanding team. End quote. That was it. That's the apology. Short, succinct, fine, right? Now, some people may have wanted to be a little longer. I, I get it. You know, you're on an hour show, really 45 minutes with commercials. Uh, you don't really want to go into it. It's been over a year the news has been out there. I mean, there's not a whole lot to address, I, I would imagine, outside of what ESPN decides to do um, or haven't done because, again, it's been almost a whole year since it happened. So I get that. But this is what part kind of triggered me. So Nichols then turns it over to her co-host on the jump. At the time, uh, again, yesterday and throughout the rest of the finals, it's Kendrick Perkins, who <laughs> we're not even going to go into, and it's also um, Richard Jefferson, who I kind of like. But this is what they said. So it's, it's a thing. This is Kendrick Perkins' part. Well, Rachel, oh, I'm not going to do his voice. I want to say thank you. He says, thank you for accepting responsibility for your actions. As someone who's known you for a long time, being around you, you treated me with the utmost respect, and you respect and you always made me feel comfortable in your presence i know your heart you're a great person great individual i also know maria taylor great person as well very very talented hardworking, and i feel she also deserves every opportunity that's presented her way my only hope is that we have commitment overall to support each other through this process and continue to support each other through our journey end quote talk about that in a second richard jefferson went next Richard said, I fully support Maria Taylor. I've worked with her since I joined ESPN and I've known Rachel for 20 years. Rachel and our entire group here have had some very difficult conversations over this time period, and those conversations don't end here. We will continue to have uncomfortable conversations. No one is excused. She is not excused. I'm not excused. Perk, this doesn't just go away. But we have to learn and understand and become better for each other and really through our actions more than anything, and that is our responsibility. Um, again, let me just go over what Rachel Nichols said before I respond to what um perk and and jefferson said this was what nichols said in terms of thinking that taylor could only be promoted because of espn's bad record on diversity she said quote i wish maria taylor all the success in the world she covers football she covers basketball if you need to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your crappy long-time record on diversity which by the way i know personally from the female side of it like go for it just find it somewhere else you're not going to find it from me or taking my thing away I say that because you take what she said, the severity of that. I get 
what Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson are trying to do, support a friend, someone they've known for a long time. But I think, and this is what my mom always says, there's a time and a place. I don't think this was the time nor the place. You can come up with, with building the character in defense of someone at a different point. Right now, you have to apologize for your actions. Simple. You messed up. All right? You said something. You said a few things <laughs> in that conversation. Again, check out that piece. That were troubling at best. Own that. Move on. In, in the span of the show, don't own that and then have you know, two other people basically pat you on the back for all the good that you have done in the past because that's what we're talking about right now. We're not talking about the good you did in the past. If I get in trouble at home for something I did, you can talk about you know, all the many times I haven't gotten in trouble, but right now I'm being reprimanded for the one time that I did get in trouble. Like, that is the point. Like, this is what the issue is. not about all the stuff you've done before or how you made um, Kendrick Perkins feel, you made him feel comfortable, or how long you've known Richard Jefferson over 20 years. Nobody cares about that at that moment. Right now, the big thing is what you did in this space. Okay, what you did a year ago, but it came out now, so you address it now. I am sorry. I have tried to make steps to rectify it. Whatever the case may be, you look at that, you go for it, you address it, you move on. I don't know why I'm pounding the table. I'm just, I don't understand how people get something like this so just bungled. I just don't. That's my issue. That's my issue. That was not the time and the place for the pat on the back for Rachel Nichols. It just wasn't. And yet it happened. And do I think this will go away? No. Should it go away? I mean, honestly, at this point, I mean, I don't know if the discourse is going to lead to any significant change. And for me, it's like, okay, if it's not going to lead to any positive course of action, then I'm not going to waste time discussing it. Because otherwise, I'm just joining the masses talking about it for nothing. At the same time, you would hope that something is done there for the better. Um, now, as far as Maria Taylor, it's I mean, she's also looking for a new contract from ESPN. I think ESPN's messed up. I don't think you put Rachel Nichols back in her original position. I also don't think if you were so um, reluctant to pay Maria Taylor what she's looking for, I don't think you'd make that a change now. It's been a whole year since it happened. You still haven't done that. So I think at the end of her contract, Maria Taylor walks, uh, hopefully to, to better pastures for her. I'm not sure what happens to Rachel Nichols, and it looks like ESPN goes 0 for 2 in terms of handling all of that, because that's just a shame. It's just a shame. But the NBA media landscape, how the NBA games are covered in terms of narrative, in terms of teaching, in terms of having, you know, a uh, uh, all-time favorite show that barely talks about basketball if you look at inside the NBA. I mean, they do, but you know what I'm saying in terms of, like, learning the game. Or you look at, basically, in my mind, a non-existent pre-game, post-game show, and that's ESPN's coverage. Like, I don't think you're getting anything what you that you want from there. I get most of mine, you know, from YouTube or, or podcasts. Podcasts are my number one way of getting any pre-game, post-game, whatever I want, because I just don't feel like I'm getting my basketball itch scratched by the NBA media coverage so far. But that's a totally different conversation for another day, and we will leave it for that. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This was just news. I just feel like ESPN, Rachel Nichols do better. Um, hopefully stuff gets figured out that makes this, I don't know. I don't even know what you do. You know, I don't even know how you um, support people of color. I mean, support women of color. Like, I, I feel like I'm saying stuff that's, like, not taglines, but just stuff that's said. Like, until you make the effort to initiate that change that you want to see, you have to wonder if that's change that's actually want that's actually wanted to be seen. I don't really know. So that's that's my that's my rant piece, whatever on that. Uh, with that being said, let's go to the Phoenix Suns versus the Milwaukee Bucks. So Phoenix Suns, number two team overall. Their journey to the NBA Finals, they beat the LA Lakers in six games. Yes, Lakers were missing Anthony Davis, and LeBron James was injured for a little bit of it. Um, Anthony Davis played some games. I have to point this out because, again, I am a Lakers fan, and it would be remiss of me if I didn't bring up the fact that the Lakers won 100%. But the 
pieces that were 100% for the Lakers did not play up to speed. The Suns played tremendously well. Devin Booker went off the entire time. I mean, there's no excuse for it. I, I'm just, I, I kid. This is in jest. Suns beat the Lakers in six. That's basically all you need to know right there. Then they move on and proceed to sweep the Denver Nuggets in four games. Chris Paul, range jumper, shoots like 65% from the field on those middies, just knocking them in. Boom, done, no big deal for him there. Then they proceed to beat the Clippers in what became like a battle of attrition, it felt like. If the Suns outlasted them, they played hard. Um, they made key stops. They had the value. They made the plays that mattered down the stretch for them to win the series. Uh, I gave credit to the Clippers for the way that they fought because they played well as well. But bottom line, the Suns made it. They earned it, and they're there. Boom. Milwaukee, what did they do? Well, it feels like this happened about a year ago, but they swept Miami. Four straight games, had one close game, and then proceeded to just take them out with the broom. Done. Then they went and beat Brooklyn in a seven-game classic that, you know, unfortunately injuries hamper Kyrie and James Harden, but they went back and forth. Um, it was a tight game. You had just Kevin Durant going crazy. You had great defense by P.J. Tucker and Giannis. It was, a fun, it was a fun battle, so you had that happen as well. That was a seven-game series. Milwaukee survives. Then you have them go and face Atlanta. Atlanta surprising, spunky, proud, but they get out in six games. So that happens as well. Phoenix did not uh, go through this unscathed as, as well. I have to point this out. Even though you could say, oh, well, the Lakers, you know, had an injured Anthony Davis and LeBron. And they also played a Denver team that didn't have Jamal Murray. And they also played a Clippers team that didn't have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, Chris Paul had a shoulder injury, suffered in the first round against the Lakers. Then he had his COVID 19 diagnosis. Devin Booker had a broken nose, conference finals, campaign, rolled his ankle, conference finals, and Cameron Johnson was sick for game six of the conference finals. So they had their own little bit of um, bangs and bruises as well. I mean, the sum total of their rotations lost games was three. They they had some issues there. Um, with that being said, they fought and battled, and the Bucks. I mean, they had the same thing. Uh, they're actually in a situation now. They lost um, Giannis Antetokounmpo to a hyperextended knee midway through game four. His status is in, is in question. I mean, he's gonna, definitely going to play, I think, this series. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he did avoid structural damage to his knee, but they're kind of taking it day by day. You lost Dante DiVincenzo to a foot injury before the playoffs even really started. So, oh, I mean, a couple games in. So you didn't have him for the semifinals straight on down. You're not going to have him for the rest of the season. So you had that issue as well. So the Bucks have also battled and fought and persevered. Uh, largely, you had players step up like Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez. They did what they had to do. For Phoenix, look at Chris Paul when he was in, look at Devin Booker, but you also had Jay Crowder playing well. DeAndre Ayton just ascend, just his ascent to being just this dominating center has just been just so cool to see. These teams have made their mark this postseason, and they came in, and they're deserving of where they are right now, which is just the ultimate matchup right now. So we have to look back. Let's look back to what Phoenix did against Milwaukee last year. Or not last year, but in the regular season. Now, we have to say this first. Phoenix won their season series with Milwaukee two games to zero, but there's a lot that you really can't take away from there. For one, both games were decided by a single point. Very close games both times. In their first meeting in February, you have to think about this, Frank Kaminsky started at Power Forward. You had all five Suns scoring double figures. You had Chris Paul and Devin Booker go off. Uh... But you also had Milwaukee and Giannis Antetokounmpo have a good game because Giannis had 47 points by himself. But, you know, the Suns were able to hold on, and it happened. Uh, but the Bucks also weren't playing. They were playing without Drew Holiday. He had he was diagnosed with COVID-19, so you're missing him then. Second one, you had um, a mid-April overtime victory for Phoenix. 
You had 84 points from Antetokounmpo, Holiday, and Milton combined. But Phoenix escaped because P.J. Tucker got a last-second kind of foul. It was a foul. It was, you know, last-second kind of weird time to call it, but a foul's a foul. P.J. Tucker fouled Devin Booker in the last second. Devin Booker hit a free throw. Game's over. The two teams, though, if you look at it, could not be more evenly matched. Jay Crowder, who will figure significantly into the series, did not start either game. Like I said, Frank Kaminsky played a major role in one. Dario Sarge played a major role in another. Okay? Meanwhile, we know that DeAndre Ayton's going to be that guy here. Whereas for Milwaukee, in both games, Giannis had huge games, whether by himself or in combination with Drew Holiday and Chris Milton. And now Giannis is where he is right now, which is kind of a day-to-day type thing. So there's a lot there to take away, but there also really isn't a whole lot to take away. <laughs> and, and really, the only thing you say by a lot to take away is, okay, yes, both backcourts are going to get their points. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are going to do what they do. Milton, um, Giannis, Holiday, they're going to do what they do. Well, Giannis again. We'll see how he plays. But the point being, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get scoring from your stars. But defense is going to be tight. You know, Dante DiVincenzo is not even available in this series, so you have that as a thing as well. It's going to be um, some battles in the margins between these two teams. So here's what I have for projected starting lines. I have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, and DeAndre Ayton for the Suns. Makes perfect sense. That's, That's what they've been rolling with for most of the playoffs. For the Bucks. Since at least the injury Dante DiVincenzo, it's Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton, P.J. Tucker, and Brooke Lopez. With Giannis looming. Uh, we can kind of go back to Giannis and, and just talk about that. Um, Chris Haynes reported optimism that he could have been available for a Game 7 of the Conference Finals. That we obviously saw never happen because Bucks won in 6. Um, but Coach Budenholzer said it's a day-to-day thing, um, and he is doubtful. Later on for game one. By the time you listen to this, he's probably going to be ruled out. I certainly think that he is going to be out for game one. I think that we will see him at some point in this series. I just don't know what strength he will be. That's something that we have to think about for sure. Another thing, just a random little trivia note. But this is the Eric Bledsoe Bowl. Both teams, you know, Mr. I don't want to be here. Went from Phoenix, went to Milwaukee. Uh, you know, Milwaukee didn't want him to be there. And he went on to the Pelicans. And we kind of saw how that worked out. But that's a little fun thing to share as well. All right, so here are my key points. Obviously health. Where Giannis goes, I mean, I don't want to say where Giannis goes, the Bucks go, because Giannis wasn't there, and the Bucks still worked their butts off and made it to where they are now. At least, you know, last couple of games. So you have to give the Bucks credit for that. But with Giannis being day-to-day and Dante DiVincenzo being out, it's going to be important to see how much Drew Holiday and Chris Paul can step up, and not necessarily in the order. Chris Middleton first, just because he's had 10-plus games, um, 10 games now with 20-plus points this playoffs. He's someone that can and clearly has stepped up for the scoring load. But Drew Holiday has also come on as well and taken on some of that and put the ball in the bucket alongside distributing the ball very well. You know, multiple games with double-digit assist this postseason for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, who else steps up for the Bucks though? That's something I'm looking at as well. Pat Connaughton has had five games this postseason with three-plus three-pointers made. He needs more of that, you know, especially with Giannis being out. You need more points to come from your support players because not everything can go on Holiday and Middleton. You know, what is P.J. Tucker, Tucker going to do? What is the bench going to do? Can you get, um, you know, some points from Bobby Portis? Because Bobby Portis had great um, performances, at least one significantly, against the Phoenix Suns this season. You know, Bryn Forbes, what does he give you? Is he going to be put off the floor defensively against the Phoenix Suns? Because you know that that backcourt of Dem Booker and, and Chris Paul are going to hunt mismatches like it's nobody's business. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Speaking of backcourt, that's that's really the issue for me, the battle of the backcourts. Now it's CP3 and Book versus Holiday and Chris. And yes, Chris is a three. Really, Pat Connaughton's playing the two. But for defensive purposes and from past Suns-Bucks matchups, 
usually Middleton's on Booker with Chris with um, Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. And you know for a fact you're going to see matchups with P.J. Tucker on Devin Booker as well because P.J. Tucker throughout the postseason has taken on the heavier defensive matchups. You know, you saw him in the past on, you know, whether it's uh, Trey Young in some parts, you know, Kevin Durant we saw in that semis, you know, Jimmy Butler and such um, against Miami. He takes on the defensive matchups of the higher, you know, the most, the deadliest offensive weapon on the other team. So you know it's going to be matchups with P.J. on Devin Booker, but I do not think it starts there. I think he's going to start with Chris Middleton there, and then P.J. Tucker will give him more of a spell, give him more of a change of pace in terms of having a bigger, more physical player on Devin Booker. Uh, for his part, Devin Booker yesterday said that he looks forward to that during media day. Devin Booker said, you know, they had so many practices um, where they went against each other hard that he's looking forward to having that opportunity to play, you know, P.J. Tucker on the biggest stage here. But that's going to be interesting to see how they kind of go along with that, especially for me, um, the the most interesting matchup is the Chris Paul versus Drew Holiday, because both guys are crafty on the offensive end. On the offensive end, obviously Chris Paul just a ton more on that side, but Drew Holiday is no slouch as the defender. And so now you have these guys going back and forth. You know, it's going to be cross matches and switches and stuff as well. But I'm really looking forward to when those guys go head to head. Um, how that'll work out because Drew Holiday is a versatile defender. That's another thing on this roster. You have a lot of guys who can swing different positions. Whether you look at Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder. P.J. Tucker, Chris Milton. I'll, I'll even put Pat Conton, Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul. And Chris Paul, even at 36 and being, you know, six foot, can still, you know, do some switches. He's not going to be like on Brook Lopez all the time, but I like him defensively against anyone else on that Bucks team on select matchups. I don't, I wouldn't put Chris Paul on on Chris Milton full time all game, but you get what I mean. For select matchups, moments in time, I don't see that as an issue. Chris Paul can hold himself up quite well, so I'm excited by where that goes. Transition is another thing. Both teams are very good in transition, but they're also good in cutting off the opposition's run of opportunities, which, okay, if you're good at converting, you know, fast break baskets, but you're also good at limiting the other team's fast break baskets, and you guys are basically mirrors of each other, I see a lot of half-court basketball. I would not be surprised to see a lot of tense, you know, relatively low-scoring basketball. I mean, Phoenix won a game where no team cracked 90, barely even 85. Like, I think both teams can win in a variety of different ways. There's a reason they're in the finals, y'all. People can make fun of injuries and this and that, but they're both versatile teams that have won in different ways and both have a lot on their shoulders. Another thing I like is the pop tree here because, you know, Greg Popovich may not be in the finals or, or even really in the playoffs the last couple of years, but both Monty Williams and coach Mike Boonholzer have been around. You know, they've been there. They're from that pop coaching tree, so you have that kind of extension there, and I just think that's a fun little nugget as well. Uh, Trying to think of other little points I had written down here, um, but we're going to see how the five-man lineup for the Suns is going to play out for when they close. Uh, It's pretty much their starting lineup uh, per per cleaning the glass. uh, They've outscored opponents by 5.1 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage minutes during the regular season, and they've improved on that by more than 3 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs. But with Paul, Booker, Bridges, Crowder, and Aiton, they're a tough lineup. They will space you out. They will knock down threes. That's another thing. In transition, Milwaukee usually goes all the way to the basket, where Phoenix, they don't mind stopping and popping around for three. And they have enough guys that can do that or make plays. And with DeAndre Ayton being just a beast in these playoffs, that's just a total monster. Uh, for the Bucks, you're looking at, uh, well, usually, you're looking at uh, Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton, Giannis Nacumpo, and Brooke Lopez. Now, they've outscored opponents by 24 points per 100 possessions in, you know, a relatively small regular season sample, but they crept out of almost 30 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs. But they've had 
even less time of that because you know if you have PJ Tucker playing first in place of Connaughton, um, and now you're gonna have him in place of Giannis. So it's really gonna be Holiday, Milton, Lopez. Connaughton and PJ Tucker, um, that's going to have that be a thing. And, you know, Tucker can kind of go bigger or small, um, but they, I mean, hopefully you have Giannis back sooner than later. That's all I got to say for that matchup, because it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. But yeah, the matchup for me, it's Holiday versus Chris Paul. Um, according to the NBA's tracking data, Holiday's defended Paul for a total of 25 minutes over the past four seasons, and Paul has recorded 35 points on 11-21 shooting, 5-7 from three, all of his free throws made, and 13 assists against only one turnover. So basically, although Drew Holiday has been, you know, second team all defense in his career, although he's five years younger than Chris Paul and three inches taller, he really hasn't been able to stop Chris Paul. He just hasn't. Chris Paul got to everybody's number on that one. So it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against each other. And again, this is a Chris Paul that's coming off of 41 points against the Clippers. Like, this 36-year-old dude, he can still keep going. He's motivated. That's another thing. You know, the Bucks have no one on their team with any finals experience. I find that funny where the Suns, I mean, are pretty much right there in that same position. I had thought, well, they're right there in that same position with the exception of Jay Crowder, who is now in back-to-back finals. Remember, he was there last year with the Heat and lost, and now he's there with the Suns. Chris Paul hasn't made it. Devin Booker hasn't made the playoffs at all before this year. Um, I thought that campaign had done it, but I realized that he came after the finals years for the, or the um, sorry, after the finals year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So that's something as well. Um, but yeah, this is going to be very interesting to see how this goes. You know, you have history here. Uh, both of these two teams, this isn't really a storyline as much as like a key historical footnote. Back in 1968, when the NBA went from 12 to 14 teams, the two teams that were added were, yep, you guess it, the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. Neither team really played that well. You know, Suns won 16 games that year. Bucks won 27. Uh, you kind of have that, that coin flip that happened where they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar go to the Bucks while the Suns got Neil Walk. Uh, Bucks end up going to the finals in 1971 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson. Then they went again in 1974 where they lost to the Celtics, where the Suns went a little bit after them in 1976 where they lost to the Celtics in six, and then 1993 when they lost to the Chicago Bulls in six. Um, for the Suns, they are one of 11 teams without a championship, and they're the oldest team on the list, whereas Milwaukee did win, um, I think it was against the Washington Wizards or Bullets in 1971. Um, but yeah, both of these teams have gone at least 50 years without a title. Now, one way or another, that's about to end. That's about to change. I'm excited to see how that happens. Uh, another big one, obviously, Giannis' health. We'll see what happens. Day to day, if he's not playing, you know, at 100%, um, how do the Bucks respond? Who steps up for them? How effective can Giannis be on the offensive and defensive end? You know, you know the Suns are going to attack it. Chris Paul's Paul's already going to help against aggressive overhelping. Um, he's done in the past against Giannis. In fact, I'm going to um, hopefully have some notes from Game One t- t- for tomorrow. For tomorrow, when I talk to y'all, um, based off what I saw on that. Well, I mean, he won't be in, but just compared to how Chris Paul played against them in the regular season matchup. Again, not a whole lot to take away from those two matchups, but there is something there. There is something there. So we'll see what happens. Uh, let's kind of go through the schedule. So tonight. At 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC, all the games on ABC will have Game 1. Game 2 will be on Thursday, 9, again, 9 o'clock again, so we have that. Game 3 is on Sunday. We get a little bit of a break because they're going to Milwaukee. That'll be at 8, a little bit earlier. Boom. I said ESPN, I meant ABC. Game 4, 
July 14th, 9 p.m. on ABC, and then game 5, 6, and 7, if necessary, will be Saturday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So, two-week extravaganza. Interesting that they're only putting a couple of days between game 1 and 2, two days. We're going to have two games done by, you know, the end of the week. You know, before we get into the weekend, we'll have three. Uh, you know, if it was a five or, or whatever, we might have a week and a half, and then this series be done. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of where this goes. But I'm excited for this matchup. As far as my prediction, I waited 31 minutes to get here. I'm waiting in 32 minutes here. Um, I am going to go with Suns in six. And I don't want to go into, well, you know, Chris Paul's not going to be denied or Devin Booker. I just think that if we're looking at this team, the Phoenix Suns have made adjustments. I think they have a versatile roster. They have a backcourt that is relentless in terms of attacking switches and mismatches. And even straight up, I think they are very, very good. And a lot hinges on the health of Giannis for me. I don't know how he's going to be. And if not, you're looking at Drew Holiday and Chris Milton and Brooke Lopez, to a lesser extent, to carry you um, for long stretches at a time. You know, power through your entire offense. I is possible? Yes, it is. I mean, all these guys are all-star caliber players, but is it something I think likely? I'm not too optimistic. I think the Milwaukee is definitely going to win a couple of games. If Giannis comes back 65% effective or more, then yeah, maybe we have a little bit more of a series, but that hyperextension looked rough. Um, they're trying to keep it really quiet, but like, you know, you saw a little bit of Giannis during the conference final sitting down one like look way bigger than the other. And that's just kind of what looks like a lot of swelling to me. I just don't see him being at the level of effectiveness that he needs to play the kind of game that he plays, which is a lot downhill, a lot driving to the basket, Euro steps and everything. Yes, he can settle for jumpers, but uh, who wants that? If you're a Bucks fan, I don't think you want that, you know? Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Suns and Six. I'm going to say Suns and Six. That's my, uh, that's my initial and I guess kind of final because you can't really make a prediction after the games have been played. But that's where I'm going with it. Uh, hopefully I'm right or somewhere in the mix. I've been surprisingly, um, not surprisingly, I've been pretty bad with these predictions all year long. I even said the Lakers would win six against the Suns, and the Suns basically went and took it. It was six games, but flipped all around his head. So that's what I'm looking at. It's going to be exciting to see where this goes. I am pumped. It's crazy to believe that we are in our final uh, round <laughs> of the NBA season before the offseason awaits, but that is something that we're in right now. It's crazy. It feels like it's been forever, and also feels like it's barely been time with all the other stuff that's kind of going on. Summer League literally in, starts in a month and three days from now, which is crazy to think. The draft, just over three weeks. Like, offseason comes in full swing. Free agency a week after the draft. Like, it's coming, and it's coming fast. And I'm excited to see where this goes. But for now, before we start projecting the future and all the fun's going to happen, then I'm going to send y'all off, let y'all go. We will be back tomorrow doing what we do, recapping game one, trying to find a time to get this NBA draft <laughs> done here. Because I'm either going to have the best like NBA mock draft done or is it going to be straight to draft coverage at this time because of how long it's taken to, to get this thing off but uh, with that being said y'all I'm Corbin Ford you know where to find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA hoopball hoop-ball.com on Twitter at hoopball tweets yeah I said that right <laughs> I had to make sure with that y'all I'm Frosty y'all stay Frosty and I will talk to y'all tomorrow <laughs> alright y'all This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.